A reading from the Gospel according to Luke, chapters 3, verses 15 through 17, 21 through 22. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to unite the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chafe he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. The gospel of the Lord. You know, in junior high, if you can remember junior high, if you're my age, it seems like a long time ago. I believe it was in 1976, 75, uh, junior high, back then it was 7th and 8th grade, that my dad asked me, do you want to be baptized? And I said, yes, of course I want to be baptized. I'm a pastor's kid. I love Jesus. I accepted Jesus when I was four years old. But so we were baptized in San Jose, California. My dad pastored a church called Central Church of the Nazarene, which is still there. And we had to go to another Nazarene church because we didn't have a baptistry. And so somewhere in the archives of my parents' uh, basement, there's a picture of me standing there, this height, about 70 pounds lighter, skinny as a rail, standing in the baptism with a dorky little smile, and I was getting baptized. But the reason I was getting baptized is I really wanted, deep down, to be validated by my dad. And so when my dad was a pastor, and in order to be validated, that I felt, my goodness, dad's excited about doing something with me. Dad loves me. Dad wants to do this. And so therefore, I thought that if I get baptized, that I would feel validated by my dad. I would feel validated by God. And therefore, I would be loved. This is how a junior hire thinks, or this is how I thought back then which now as a pastor for since 1985 full-time, that I'm realizing that's not what baptism is all about. It's not about getting validation. It's not about God smiling and saying, your life is going to be perfect from now on. But follow me on the screen. In baptism, we claim what is most true about us. Our deepest truth is that we don't have to do anything to please God. God is already pleased with us, and he calls us, Beloved, this is why I'm beginning to partner with Brooke on putting this series together, which, I, which we titled Enlightenment. And I like the word enlightenment because last week we talked about epiphany, didn't we? And epiphany simply means to have this incredible revelation that somehow when we have an epiphany or we have this moment as a cartoon character with a light bulb and go, bing, I get it. And what that means is now in a dark area of my life that I'm not sure what is going on, that the big light comes on, this epiphany that I'm having, that makes my decisions and what I need to do very, 
very clear now. Usually an epiphany or an aha moment causes us to change the entire direction of our life and stay there. Now, this is where enlightenment, I really, is at a deeper level. And if you follow me on the screen, often when God turns on a light, so we are enlightened. We are able to let go of things that have held us back in our spiritual journey. And we were, when we are enlightened, the load we carry through life is also lightened, right? So supposedly when I have this epiphany in life, whatever that epiphany is about, my life should be lightened about, about that situation. And I can look back and I go, dang, I can see it, I can see it, I can see it. But what happens when we get the epiphanies, we go back to the dark way of thinking again. We just go, that's not real, that didn't happen. So today's gospel, and this is as a junior higher, I used to think this, and I never ask stupid questions, you know, not out loud, but I do. But, but the thing is, what happens here, I've always asked this, and I don't know about you, why in the world did Jesus need to be baptized? Am I the only one who thinks this? Okay, good. Because the thing is, the dude was sinless. The dude came in in a righteousness. And the thing is, it's incredible. John the Baptist is the one that baptized him. And so the thing is, I'm wondering why it was important for Jesus to be baptized. And I think a lot has to do with Jesus is demonstrating what we need to do. He's not just talking down. Jesus never talked down to people. But he demonstrated a lot of his teachings. And so follow me on the screen. Jesus shows us what is true in every person. Jesus is showing you what is true about you. He shows us who we really are as human beings and what we are tended to be. What is true of Jesus is true of you and me. Jesus' baptism demonstrates to us that our deepest truth is that we are already God's beloved children and therefore are a great pleasure to God. There is nothing we can do to make God love us more. There is nothing we can do to make God love us less. That is the grace and the baptism we claim what God says is already true about ourselves. Now, the problem is a lot of us get baptism backwards. Where we think, again, if I just get baptized, that's what Christians do, then God's going to be pleased with me. That I'm going to have this deeper meaning that God's going to love me, that I'm just going to have this incredible peace that passes all understanding. But it's interesting to me that you've already been loved. You've already been cared for. You don't have to do it to please God. See, this is interesting. When, when Jesus was baptized, there was a voice from heaven that came down. And it said this. It's on the screen. And the voice came down from heaven. You are my son. And he uses the word the beloved, which I love. With you, I am well pleased. But here's the thing. What did Jesus do for him to be pleased? Past tense. He, he didn't do a miracle yet. There's no record, record of him teaching. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He didn't die on the cross. He didn't fight the temptation in the wilderness. He didn't heal anybody yet. But somehow God said, pleased, which is past tense. 
And so a lot of us forget about this, that, man, he already had God's stamp of approval before doing anything. And out of that approval, he did things. See, a lot of us do things to get approval, don't we? Our motivation is to be liked, is to be loved. Like, before I say something, you know, sometimes when you want to speak the truth, you, you balance the consequences. I, go, I don't want anyone to hate me. I don't want people to be mad at me. I don't want this to be done. So I'm going to remain quiet. I'm going to be not true to myself. And so we don't speak the truth. And so this is where the adoration from God is already there. It's implanted in you and me already. This is what's remarkable about God's stamp of approval for us. And so Jesus is true to us. God already loves us and cares for us. And we always do this. You know God loves you, don't you? God loves you. Doesn't that just go right above your head, never in their heart, when somebody says that? God loves you. And then we, we don't receive it. Why? Because we're brought up in such a conditional society, such a transactional society, and so we don't have never experienced unconditional love. And so, therefore, if you're like me, that you've been divorced, then all of a sudden, what happens? You start thinking, I'm not good enough. If I did this and did this, this wouldn't have happened. If I did, have you second guessed there? Any second guessed? And so, I know a lot of us do. And we look back with, with regret and we say, well, if I did this 20 years ago, I wouldn't be in this situation. Or if I did this, this situation, how dumb am I? And so, therefore, we live with regret. And we don't understand God loves you. And we go, yeah, I get it, you know. We always say this. But the thing is, it doesn't say God thinks you're awesome. God, he doesn't go to Kevin and say, hey, Kevin, I think you're funny, but looks aren't everything. You know that joke? <laughs> okay? Or, or, or this, or, or this. See, I told you, I'm funny. See? You can see how that, come on, stick with me, that transitional thing. And, and so, so what happens here, and I, I believe this, it's probably because of the message that we start from getting from other people. We embrace other people's messages rather than God's message. And here's the message that we embrace. You're not good enough. You've been labeled. When I did the, um, the uh, Hump Day podcast, and, and the thing is, I wanted to learn what it was like being not white. And so I would ask, when did you first discover you were black? And it was deep, deep answers when they were called the N-word or situation or by cops or whatever. And the thing is, it made me understand, oh my goodness, life is different because I'm white. And one of the things I've learned, it's not just black. Pastor Reuben, great guy, man of God. And the thing is, Pastor Reuben's been working with me 18 years, 16 years, and then he was in my youth group. Pastor Reuben used to be a senior pastor at Santa Ana Free Methodist Church. Pastor Reuben's in charge of all the finances of the church, writes all the checks, leads all the board meetings, is part of the direction of the church, does a lot of stuff within this church. But this is interesting. When he met the pastor, another Free Methodist pastor, Reuben was with me, he shook his hand and said, oh, you're, the, you're the gardener, right? Okay, because he's Mexican. 
And Pastor Reuben struggles with this label all the time. Even our children, when they were writing letters to thank our pastor's appreciation, one of the letters said, thank you, Pastor Reuben, for keeping our rooms clean. You see? And so this guy, because he, he, he chooses to be a pastor within the evangelical church, within the free message church, he's been labeled so much because of the color of his skin. Because I've had people say, is he your Spanish-speaking pastor? I go, gee, Louise, are you crazy? I, the, thing, the thing is, Pastor Ruben is more qualified to be a pastor than I am. He really is. He's, college, he's highly college-educated, but he lives with this constantly about being labeled within the evangelical church. And so we've got to be careful about that. And so, therefore, he has to constantly reject that label. I have to constantly reject the label that I'm giving with tremor, disabilities, learning disabilities, and all that stuff, which people don't really aren't mean about it, but they just it's easy to label somebody. And when we label someone, we label them below us, not as a peer. And so this is where I, I think it's interesting. When we do this, Satan is known as accuser. And when he does accusing, that during the baptism, we ask questions during the baptism. These aren't just random questions that the pastor feels like reading. These are questions from the ancient church. And one of them was, do you renounce the work of the devil? Now, this is interesting because the work of the devil as accuser, labeler, the words that we listen to, and what they did in the ancient church, baptism wasn't about this warm feeling thing it was a defiant act against satan and so what they would do in the ancient church is right before they were baptized they would spit they would spit towards the west which were the sunset where the darkness come and they would spit in defiance of the, the works of satan and so therefore they understood the label that they didn't need to live by is beloved. There's where you saw a lot of the ancient church and a lot of Christians really fight for the gospel and lost their lives because they knew they were God's beloved. And so, follow me on the screen. When we need to reclaim the baptism as a defiant act, Satan means the accuser. It's a voice of Satan who tells us the lie that we are not good enough. Satan, in this voice of all the untrue labels, I'm not getting emotional. I'm reading too fast. Let me try this again. We need to reclaim baptism as a defiant act. Satan means the accuser. It's a voice of Satan who tells us the lie that we are not good enough. Satan is a voice of all the untrue labels that have been placed on us and that we often buy into. Baptism is a defiant act that proclaims that we refuse to be labeled any longer by all the lies told about us and that we tell ourselves. We reject and defy the labels of not good enough. We claim what is true of us. And this is what is true. I am God's beloved child. God is pleased with me. And as we emerge from the waters of baptism, we start the journey of becoming who we really are. See, this is makes sense. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. 
Am I going to allow myself to be labeled by my failures? Am I going to be, uh, allow myself to be labeled by what other people's brokenness have labeled me? And therefore have limited me because I embraced this? How many people have been in relationships they, they should have got out years ago? Because somehow that spouse, somehow that boyfriend, that girlfriend has labeled them and said things that they believe about themselves. And so therefore they're in this horrible relationship because I deserve this. And so you wonder why people put up with abuse. You wonder why all this. Because somehow they have embraced this label that Satan has used that person at that moment to reinforce that negative label on yourself so that you have no idea what it truly means to know Jesus and truly means to know yourself. This is where the Holy Spirit needs to kick in. Can you imagine that marriages that are healed because of this? That we don't have to be fighting like stupid idiots? I gotta calm down, dude. I gotta calm down. This is so close to my heart. Not you know, look. I have a great, incredible marriage, but I had to learn a lot before. I had to not have the labels bring it into my other marriage. I can remember things that people call me. And I still embrace that label. Retard. Divino N-word. Stupid. Those are things that I still struggle with. I haven't made it yet. I'm preaching something that I'm struggling with. Because this beloved stuff, I get it here. But I'm having difficulties getting it here. You hear me? Because when I get in here, my resentment and my brokenness and my anger is not an issue anymore. My humility becomes a priority rather than my pride. And so when I go work in humility, man, then therefore I become what I'm supposed to be. I'm how I was designed to become. This is me. And it's fascinating to me that the safest place for me, I'm going off script here, the safest place for me is here. It's up here. Because if you don't like me, you don't come to the church. But man, when I go out in that world, it's horrible. Sometimes when I go in the denomination, it's horrible. And so this is where we need to believe that we are God's beloved. It's interesting, my goddaughter, who I have one, two, three goddaughters, I gotta remember because I got two two ones, uh, Samantha and Joshua, who are under two years old. So this Godfather will be sitting in a wheelchair. <laughs> so so, um, but I have two, three adults that are in their upper twenties. They love me. And Abby is interesting. Abby is my the youngest one, who she is a school teacher and a sports, um, just a health nut. And a sports fanatic, and 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 um, and so her and I joke around a lot. And so we were playing air hockey, and this is when GameWorks was open. And I and I, you know, I talk smack, you know, and all that stuff. And I go, I can kick your, you know, you know, 
and all this stuff, and she doesn't have to say anything. That's the scary part. When they don't talk smack back, you know you're going to lose. It's like when my wife, when I do this with my wife every once in a while. There's no flinching. And she goes like this, my wife. She goes, you got the first shot. That scares me, that silent stuff, <laughs> you know? And so uh, she kicked my butt in, in air hockey every single game. I'm sitting there breathing, looking like I'm having a heart attack, laying on the air hockey table. But it doesn't define who I am because I lost it. I lose. It doesn't define who you are. And so this is where it's interesting. Who defines us? You are his beloved, whom he's well pleased. You're not defined by your mistakes. You're not defined by your choices. You learn from your choices. You learn from wisdom. Follow me on the screen. But, when, but we are not our sins and our shortcomings. Jesus died to cleanse us from all of that. That is not where we are. So we leave what is, what is forgiven behind. By faith we move forward, joined in the perfect life of Christ, knowing who he is. We claim what is his as our own because it is true of us as well. And as we keep claiming the truth and walking in it, we become that truth. And so we see people in self-fulfilled prophecies. I can't do it. I'm never going to be happy. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to succeed. I'm never going to get the job that I want. I'm never going to do that. Well, you know what? It's not going to happen. Because you're not connecting with God right now. On who you are with God. 1964, they did this survey. And my wife's a school teacher. Pray for her. She's going on strike tomorrow. Just throwing that in there. For the children. And so, so they, they've done this survey in 19... 64, that they told the teachers a lie. They told all the teachers that in the, your classroom, all of them have exceptional high IQ. They didn't, but they were told they did. So the teachers, what they did is they treated them exceptionally. And you know, within a year, the test scores went up huge prior to the other year. Because the teachers thought they were exceptional, and therefore the kids thought they were exceptional. And so there was great things done. That's a little survey they took in 1964. And so when Jesus' baptism becomes enlightened us, in our own baptism we realize, oh man, how deep can that be? Then we tend to become it. We become the child of God that he's called us to be. And so we're going to start the grace track, and, uh, and our uh, grace track, uh, I think the Sunday or the two Sundays before Easter, and it's an 11-week thing about really understanding what baptism is out. And one of the grace tracks is I want to show you this video. It's a quick little video on what baptism is. Follow me. Watch this. <laughs> is a naming. That's ultimately baptism is naming someone a child of God. And um, it's... Who's the child of God? Well, I think we're all children of God. And I think baptism 
acknowledges that. And, that, and you don't become a child of God when you cross off a list of things to do, or even when you are baptized. Baptized, being baptized is simply a naming, an acknowledgement of someone's existing belovedness. I mean, when Jesus was baptized, he didn't only begin to be beloved by God when he was baptized. Um, it, it was an acknowledgement of his eternal belovedness. Well, he was God, but not everybody else. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, but I think it's true for everyone else. Not everybody's created in God's image. <laughs> right. I like that you're playing devil's advocate here. Um, <laughs> But, well, really, I think baptism is, is an acknowledgement of uh, people's belovedness. And when we treat it as that, it's, it's, in the Orthodox tradition, it's part of the baptismal service is a renunciation of Satan and his demons and of evil. And the way I kind of look at that and apply that is, in bapt baptism is a renunciation of all those competing voices that try and tell you who you are. Uh, the world says, gives you names like screw up, faker, fat, slut, addict. In baptism, you're named beloved. Uh, and then the world, like demons, beckon with rich, powerful, pretty, bright. But in baptism, you're told you're beloved and that's enough. Uh, I think everyone wants to be told sort of who they are. And in baptism, we're told you are a beloved child of God, and we're told to renounce anything that says otherwise. And it's a really, it's, it's a defiant thing to do. I, I look at baptism as defiance because the world will always try to name us. And in baptism, we say, no, my name is beloved. <laughs> uh, so whether that happens when you are an infant and you are remembering your baptism as God naming you beloved, or whether it happens as an adult. Uh, I think when we look at our baptisms and we think about the significant of our, significance of our baptisms, it's that we are named by God and that that's enough. Good news. It is good news. <laughs> And we're going to close out this portion of the service. If you haven't been baptized and you want to be baptized, this is the time. And uh, not today. But uh, we're going to do a baptism on Easter Sunday, which is incredible because it's, a, it's celebrating the resurrection. But the ones that have been baptized, I want to remind you that we have water here during communion that we're going to remind you about your baptism. And we're going to stand here and put our hand in the water and just sprinkle water to remind you that you are God's beloved, whom he's well pleased. All of us need that, right? To be reminded on a daily basis. And so I want to encourage you, like during the time of communion, to remind yourself that you are beloved. It's hard, isn't it? To remind yourself on a daily basis that you're his beloved. And I had to constantly remind. That's why uh, Romans chapter 12, 12 talks about transformation begins with what? The renewing of your mind. The way you think about things. The way you think about yourself. The way you think about the world. The way you think about others. <laughs> this is a, it gets deep here. And so uh, let's have the time.